The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We will talk about Aaron Rodgers accepting that he does not need to be Superman. We will also do the Golden Cags, the best and the worst from the Green Bay Packers loss to the New York Giants. We'll also talk about why Graham Mertz's big day leads to questions about Wisconsin. And also, do you feel differently about the Milwaukee Brewers after the wild card round? Before we get going, make sure that you're rating and reviewing on our podcast. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify. Those reviews help us. They boost us up. They people get to know us. If you're not subscribed, if you're new to the program, first of all, welcome. Second of all, uh, you can subscribe on Apple. You can subscribe on Spotify. You can subscribe Google Play, uh, wherever else you use podcasts. Uh, we're there. Uh, we should be there. If somehow we're not. You can reach out. And where you would you reach out? Good question you asked. That would be social media. Uh, Tabbing the Keg on Twitter, Tabbing the Keg Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. Uh, we're also on Facebook on the same name as well. Okay, let's get into it and go over a bad, bad Packers loss. So Green Bay Packers finally had a bad half bite them in the ass. It's been a theme for Green Bay all season where they haven't been able to complete a full game. Matt LaFleur has said as much. Green Bay, I would say week two had more of a complete game, but the second half was a little bit shoddy. And that didn't bother them. They still won by 17. They still got the, got the job done. Then the next week against Tampa Bay, they looked like world beaters in the first half of that game. Second half of the game, they, they looked terrible, and the Packers are able to hold on by the skin of their teeth. Then week four in, against New England, they're terrible in the first half. They come out very sluggish. Then the second half, they turn it on, and the hope was when you're going into New York or going into London against the Giants that the Packers would carry over that second half into that game against the Giants. And they did, for the most part, to start the game. They get up 17-3. to It looks like the Packers are going to womp the Giants. Like It looks like Green Bay is in full control. It looks like Green Bay has this game sort of wrapped up. And finally, it's the statement win that we've been waiting for from the Green Bay Packers. But the Giants slowly, slowly climb back. And the Giants throw themselves back into this game. Daniel Jones was terrific. I mean, you can't criticize how Daniel Jones played. Daniel Jones played mistake-free football. He looked really solid, as well as Saquon Barkley, as well as other members of the New York Giants football team. The offensive line held their job, did their job as well. And the Giants were able to come back. And when the Green Bay Packers were listless offensively, that led to the Packers losing this football game. And one of the reasons why the Green Bay Packers lost this game was Aaron Rodgers playing the role of Superman. Aaron Rodgers took three shot plays when the Packers were at 20-20. to It was 20-20. to The Packers had just given up a long touchdown drive. The Packers defense was gassed. All the Packers needed to do was get a couple first downs and essentially flip the field. Like get down to like the 50, even if you didn't get a score, right? Even if you stalled out at the 50-yard line and you punted the ball and you got the Giants deep in their own, own territory, that would have been perfectly fine, right? Because it sets you up to get a three and out or you know one, one first down and out. And then you get the ball back with really good field position and you set up potentially Mason Crosby to win and get the hell out of London and you get out of London with a win but instead Aaron Rodgers decided to don his cape and said it's me time instead of looking at the rest of his roster and Aaron Rodgers needs to come to terms that he is not Superman and that he needs to trust what Matt LaFleur is doing I do not believe that Matt LaFleur called three shot plays after they're down after it's 20 to 20 
Aaron Rodgers checked into those. Aaron Rodgers looked for those deep balls. And Aaron Rodgers has not been able to find his deep ball all season. It has not been something that has been a tool in his arsenal. Whether that is his receivers, whether that's Aaron Rodgers sort of starting to regress a little bit. Whatever that may be, Aaron Rodgers has not been able to get that deep ball going. Yet Aaron Rodgers still believes in the deep ball. I have no problem taking a shot here or there. But when you have just, your defense has been on the field for eight or nine minutes, whatever it may be, you need to establish a run and you need to make sure that your defense gets some time to breathe. Because lo and behold, the Giants get the ball back, they get pretty decent field position, and they are fucking gassed defensively. And that is all on the quarterback. I'm not one to blame Aaron Rodgers a lot. I, I don't. I think sometimes it's very easy. It's trendy to blame Aaron Rodgers. But this game falls on number 12. And he needs to accept that he is not Superman. That he can rely on Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon to get the job done. The lack of A.J. Dillon in this game was disgusting. We'll talk about that in Golden Kegs. But like it, it just it, it was unbelievable how little they used AJ Dillon. It was pretty frustrating how they didn't use Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, who really does not speak out that often, said I I felt like on third and two or fourth and two that me or AJ could have got into the end zone and at least got the first down, but probably also got the touchdown. And it seems like there's a lot of dissension in the locker room right now. It seems like there is a little bit of fraying. And I want to touch on that, but I want to stay with Rodgers. But so with, with Rodgers, he just needs to know, like, dude, you don't have to do it all. Like, it's okay. And you need to trust your other guys. Like, Randall Cobb, Lazard got a lot of looks. But if you look for Romeo Dobbs, if you look for Christian Watson, if you look for the other guys on your field, you're going to find that they're open. Like Josiah Deguerra had a couple nice catches today, and I do think Josiah Deguerra is pretty strong. And it's like, I look at the Packers right now, and I need Aaron Rodgers to sort of stop the hero ball. Like, this is this should be the last of hero ball. Like, him and Matt LaFleur should have a deep talk with it. I understand that Aaron Rodgers wants to check out of plays. I get that, right? I get if Aaron Rodgers sees something and sees the opportunity, but that opportunity, that check, the deep ball check should not be in the repertoire, especially when it's a situational thing. Aaron Rodgers knows better, okay? Aaron Rodgers just does. He absolutely does. He's been around for way too fucking long to not know that he needs to get it all back with one play. And this has been a thing that's been an issue for Rodgers for years, right? We saw this at late, the late stage of Mike McCarthy, which this loss really felt like, right? This, lo this loss felt like something we would see in 2015, 2016, and then in the really dark years of 2017 and 2018. Like that, that was a loss that I think we saw very often. And, and then the other part of it too is that Rodgers... Rodgers just, he, he needs to know that maybe he's not the same quarterback that he was the last two years. Maybe he has regressed a little bit. Maybe he is not the all-out talented piece, you know, that the guy that he's been for the last couple of years. You know, that happens, right? We get older. And I think there is maybe a wonder, did we rush in to pay Aaron Rodgers? That's probably a deeper discussion that maybe is not there just yet. But at least needs to, and we need to invite it into the room. Like it needs to at least be hanging out in the corner, having a couple beers, and then maybe invite him to have that conversation. Because, 
it it is a little concerning. It, we haven't necessarily seen that Aaron Rodgers all out drop your dick performance, and that's and we thought we saw we were going to see it in the first half, but then the second half happened and the Packers didn't finish the job. And part of that falls on the defense because they could not hold and they let the Giants sort of control the clock. But also that some of that falls on Aaron Rodgers. This, the drive they had that resulted in no points, which was unfortunate as the Packers are trailing 27 to 20, was an ideal drive. That was exactly what the Packers needed to drive before. So how the fuck did we not get that drive on the time before? Because you could make the argument that even if Green Bay would have stalled, they probably could have kicked the field goal and it would have been okay because we were up 23 to 20 at that point. And then your defense is well rested and you go out and you try to make Daniel Jones fuck up. And you try to get Daniel Jones to make a bad play. So I look at this and I'm very frustrated with Aaron Rodgers. I, I am frustrated with the defense. I think the defense, there is a lot of questions there too. I don't want to absolve what I saw defensively, but I also want to understand that Aaron Rodgers is the best player on the field. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Aaron Rodgers needs to take accountability and understand that he does not need to do it all. And three shot plays after be, after the defense has been on the field for eight, eight minutes just sends a bad message. It really does. It really does. Even if they hit one of those shot plays, right? What does that solve, right? It gets the, it gets the Packers down the field, but they didn't need to. There was none of that needed. And so is Matt LaFleur letting Aaron Rodgers sort of dictate too much? And that that's an issue. If that's going to be a thing, then Aaron Rodgers needs to take a step back and they need to rework on some of that relationship. And this is the these are the type of games, and this is not to diss him because I respect the shit out of what he does. And I, I mean, he's a legend in what he's built. But this is where I get sometimes a little frustrated with Pat McAfee because I know that Pat will not press that hard on this. Maybe he will. Maybe he's getting to the point where, you know, game with the game day crew and other things where people are telling him like, hey, look, got to ask some tougher questions and or his producers or whatever it may be. Like, I would love to hear from Aaron Rodgers that says, OK, you're right. I I need to not like do this. Like this was a complete mistake. And maybe Aaron Rodgers will own up. Maybe Aaron Rodgers will say, look, I fucked up. And you kind of saw that, you know, after week one when they didn't get Jones and Dylan the ball enough again. Then Jones and Dylan were fed and they were awesome. And oh, by the way, you're facing a New York Jets team next week who is really good on, on the corners. Like Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed are very strong corners. The Jets have one of the best secondaries in football. Uh, the Jets are definitely going to be a team, I wouldn't say to reckon with, but right now they're in the playoffs. I realize it's week five, but like the Jets are playing good football. So they they can come into Lambeau and win that game. Like they there is no shot, no doubt in my mind that the Jets could do it. Now the Jets are maybe a little bit fraudulent if you look at you know who they've beat, you know, quarterback wise, but Robert Salah knows Aaron Rodgers, he knows Matt LaFleur, they're longtime friends. Mike LaFleur on the other side knows how to exploit the Joe Barry defense. Like there's a lot of relationships there where everybody knows everybody. So it's a question of what do you do differently? How do you frustrate a guy like Zach Wilson? We'll talk about that later. But really what it starts with is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the leader of this football team. And Aaron Rodgers needs to bring everybody together. And I do think there is some discussions that need to be had with the entire Packer team. You know, Jones's comments after the game, not a big deal. Aaron Jones can can have those comments. Those are things that Aaron Jones can discuss. 
But it, it is a little bit concerning, right? It's a, it's concerning that Jones is speaking out. And then you have J- Jair Alexander, who's basically saying, like, I'll be worried next week if we lose. And Aaron Rodgers like, we're not talking about if we lose next week. And he talked about how Ja's a friend. But, of course, now the media, I saw today from a local radio station, it's like, Ja versus 12. It's like, eh. Like, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'd say that it's this rivalry. But Jair Alexander has been pretty outspoken the last two times the Packers have lost. And it seems like the defense has lost a little bit of that swagger. And we'll talk about the defense in Golden Keg, so I don't want to trample that. But I need the Packers to come together. They look a little bit too individualistic right now. They don't necessarily look like they're playing like a team. And that, that part concerns me, all right? Like, that part concerns me. But I'm not ready to just completely give up on the season. I saw some guys that I respect um, who were like, the Packers aren't a playoff team. The Packers aren't going to win a playoff game. I I disagree wholeheartedly with that. It's fucking week five. I said it last week. The fact remains the same. The NFC is mediocre, right? Like the NFC East looks really good. The Dallas, Philadelphia, two teams the Packers play, looks really good. And it's unfortunate for the Packers that they run into the NFC East. And when the NFC East is having a revival for the first time in 10 years. And of course, Packers have to play every team. It's not going to be easy. But at the same time, who knows what everything looks like in a month. When the Packers and Cowboys meet, which should be an awesome football game, and I'm going to be there and I can't wait, like that that game is going to be different. That game is not going to be how it looks right now. Okay? So that part is just, I, I think we have to take that into consideration. Similarly with the Eagles and a month and a half. Like those games might look differently, but the Green Bay Packers need to level up. And I, I've just been waiting for it. And I, I hope maybe this is the wake up call and we'll have to see, um, you know, you get the Jets and the Commanders. Those are again, two winnable games. I think the Commanders is more winnable than the Jets, but those are two games Packers should take care of business. And I think if you told someone that they're five and two heading into the Buffalo game, which is gonna be really, really tough, I think people would take five and two. I really do. I think six and one would be preferred, but five and two in the NFC probably gets you a top seat. And the Vikings being four and one is unfortunate, but that's why you should have cared about week one. And so I hope that the Packers are going to figure it out. I, I I'm not exactly pushing a panic button. I think other people are. I think that's just what you have to do in the social media era. And I, I do think it's going to get better, but changes are definitely needed. Let's do Golden Kegs. If you're unfamiliar with Golden Kegs, it is the best and worst things that happen to the Green Bay Packers. Um, we go from five kegs, which is good, one keg, which is bad, and we just have a discussion. And when they lose, usually we don't have as much to talk about because uh, it's not that fun, right? We don't want to reflect on you know all the good and bad. It's just, hey, let's... Let's have these conversations. Like, we got to do the segment, but it's not as fun when they lose. I'll, I'll admit wholeheartedly. Five kegs goes to Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb's been fantastic this year. Uh, seven catches, 99 yards. I do think there's a little more of a reliance on, on Cobb than there needs to be. That said, he deserves credit for a good game. You can't, you can't deny that, right? You can't just be like, oh, Cobb's getting the ball too much. Like Randall Cobb is a talented player. Randall Cobb is underrated because everyone thinks that he's this old man. Um, Randall Cobb still has it. Um, he still has the juice 
and it's there. And seven for ninety nine is is not a fraud. Is not fraudulent, right? Like that's a very very good performance. And they worked on feeding Cobb a little bit more, and I, it worked out for the Packers. I, I thought he he had a lot of big catches for Green Bay in that first half, where which was really successful. Um, and I just wish it would have been a little bit more, right? Um, but that was probably the best Cobb game we've seen since Pittsburgh last year around this time. So hopefully he can continue it. Hopefully it's a little more consistent. And hopefully, you know, more people get involved. It's not just Cobb. I think that's the worry from some people is that Rodgers is too reliant on Cobb and Lazard and not looking to the other guys and not looking to see what's open with Dobbs and Watson. And that's the part that I think worries some people. But I still have to like acknowledge the fact that like that's a good game for Randall Cobb. And that's that's going to help Packers win football games. But you just hope that 12 isn't locked in to his guys, that he's you know spreading the ball out as much as he can. 4K goes to Preston Smith. I thought Preston Smith was the best defender on the field. If you look at the stats, you know, he had the only sack in this game. Granted, uh Jared Reed and uh, Rashawn Gary both had sacks that got called back from defensive holdings, which was really tough, honestly. Um, I, I thought Alex Kemp is one of the worst officials in the NFL going. I know people say I bitch about officials all the time, and they're like, Charlie, which officials do you like? We could do that on another podcast. That maybe bring back the tap list of officials I actually like. Uh, but yeah, Alex, Alex Kemp is definitely one of the worst that's out there, um, and that was shown um, on on Sunday and, and impact the Packers in terms of the goal line situation. But anyways, Preston Smith had a very good game. Preston Smith continues to put together a, a fantastic 2022. He's been an absolute force for Green Bay. Got to the quarterback three times, got one sack. Um, he had, four, I think, four tackles in this game too. Uh, just a really strong, strong game from P. And I, I hope it continues. I hope that you know this is something that's sustainable for him. Um, that's not something that's just, hey, it's a great first half, and then the second half he trails off. It just seems like teams can't guard him, and that's great. And I think part of that is also aided by Rashawn Gary because they're focused on Rashawn Gary, and then there comes Preston Smith. So I think that's that's a really good one-two punch. And while I think a lot of us worried about the depth at edge, I don't think it's been a problem because Smith and Gary are so good that it, it's not it's not a factor. And that's something that is unique. And I think that's something that's really good for the Green Bay Packers. And I, I'm really pleased to see. And so good stuff from Preston Smith um, getting that four kegs. Three kegs goes to Aaron Rodgers. So I know I was critical of Aaron Rodgers and you're like, Charlie, Three keg seems a little high, but if you think about a three keg, it's basically there's some good and there's some bad. I think the good, the first half was fantastic for Aaron Rodgers, all right? Like the first half was vintage Aaron Rodgers. The second half was hero ball, bullshit Aaron Rodgers, relying too much on my guys in close games versus trusting everybody, Aaron Rodgers. There were two sides of this. It was like having a very good beer or having like a craft beer or a cold Miller Lite on a hot day on tap versus having something a beer that's been skunked and that was watery at some shitty dive bar. Um, yeah, I think about like, you know who had bad taps? Uh, no disrespect was Dukes. It's like having a beer at Dukes. Like that's if Milwaukee people will understand. Or having like the birthday keg at the pickle uh, for the my Eau Claire OGs. That was Aaron Rodgers in the second half. First half, a nice clean 
freshly tapped either light beer or good IPA second half a bad beer that had been previously tapped an old beer like that was basically the three keg experience that was the experience with Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers again as mentioned in the open has not been able to put together a full game we'll see if he's able to do it against the Jets team that's going to be challenging Um, but you know Aaron Rodgers usually does play well in October Um, so again I'm not pushing the panic button at any sort of way Jones and Dylan lack of carries is a two keg look man you can't have that. You just cannot have the lack of attention to Jones and Dylan. They had 19 overall carries and touches in this game. Aaron Jones was not a factor in the passing game, nor was A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon did not get targeted once in the passing game. His snap count was the lowest it's been. Packers need to figure that out. The Packers need to address that. And I think that's a real concern going forward because if that if this is the remnants of the hero ball that's a problem. And the Packers need to do more with that. And I think that's partly on LaFleur. I don't think that's all on Aaron Rodgers, right? If Dylan is getting the least amount of snaps that he's getting, that's partly due to the schematic things. And maybe that's maybe it was just the way the Giants were playing. And A.J. Dillon, I don't think is as good of a pass blocker as Aaron Jones. With all the blitzes, maybe that was part of it. And maybe that was the reason why you didn't have as much A.J. Dillon out there. I'm sure Matt LaFleur will address it in his press conference today. Uh, but we need to see more from Dillon and Jones. And, you know, it, I mean, Jones had 63 yards on 13 carries. I mean, that's a pretty solid average. And to just kind of ignore that and to not give him the rock more and more just seems like a mess. I mean, 33, they had 33 carries against New England last week, and they go to 33 to 19 in a close ball game. That seems like something messed, messed up. Like, how could you not overcommit on blitzes and it's just a drop off to Jones or it's a pitch to Aaron Jones with Wink Martindale blitzing down. Like how, how are those, like how do the Packers not run one pitch play? Like how, how, how did that not happen? How did no, I don't think they ran a screen. Like how do we not get one screen from the Green Bay Packers with all this blitzing and the, the pass catching ability of Jones and Dylan? That makes absolutely no fucking sense to me. And so I just need more from Jones and Dylan. Like, I, I do. And it, that does that's not them. Like, that's not their fault. It's the fault of the coaching staff. It's the fault of the quarterback. Like, Aaron Rodgers can't keep checking out runs. And that's, that's something that I don't know if you can kind of put that horse back in the stable. That's my, I guess, my fear. If you're like, what's the one thing that scares you? It's that it, this sort of hero ball shit it's going to happen again. Like this is not, I, even though I said what I did to start to start the open, I just know that this is not going to be the last time it happens. I hope, I hope so. I hope that it is, but how I can't, I've seen it too many times not to know. And so that's where I'm saying the idea of letting Aaron Rodgers go might've, might've been the move. But like I said, that's not, we're not there yet. If the Packers lose to the Jets and then lose to the Bills and are three and four, then yeah, maybe it's a conversation we have to have. But again, we're not there yet. It's just, it's hanging out. It's at the bar, but no one's talking to it just yet. One keg is the defense in general. Uh, Just pathetic. Uh, Joe Barry should be fired. Um, I I don't usually do this where I call for a coach to be fired, but it it really looks like Joe Barry is out of his element. And Joe Barry is playing way too passive. He's playing way too much to, you know, kind of to lose, right? Like it's, it looks like a team that doesn't want to make a mistake. 
And the fact that the Green Bay Packers have one turnover, you know, from an interception in five games is, is unacceptable. You have one of the best secondaries in football. You should have multiple interceptions. You played bad quarterback after bad quarterback. Like, how do you only have one interception? How do you have, I think, only one fumble? Like, this defense needs to play with a little bit of a hair on fire. If we go all the way back to when Matt LaFleur made his decision to hire Joe Barry, I, this is what I was worried about. This is what scared me. That Joe Barry would, you know, essentially be a problem. And that he wouldn't exactly, you know, let the Packers play with their ears pinned back. And Joe Barry has to change some of the things that he's doing. He just has to. Now, if we go take a step back and say, and I probably, I think saying he needs to be fired, a little overreaction, I'll, I'll admit that. But if we take a step back and say, all right, how can Joe Barry fix this? Joe Barry needs to abandon a lot of the concepts that he's been doing because it's not working. They can't stop a crossing route. They can't seem to get off the field on third down. There are a lot of concerns overall. And Green Bay did a good job early on in terms of shutting down Saquon Barkley, but then they didn't make any adjustments. And this has been the fundamental problem with Joe Barry all season is Joe Barry has his defense and then he's like, okay, we can't get out of this. We can't change. That that mindset needs to change, right? Joe Barry needs to adjust and needs and if those adjustments are not there, then Joe Barry shouldn't have a job. I would say that he has three weeks, in my opinion. If I were if I were Green Bay, I'd give Joe Barry three weeks. You have the Jets, you have the Commanders, those are two easy games. Then you have the Bills, which is gonna be a dogfight. Then you have the Lions, which also will be, you know, the Lions offense took a big step back last last week against New England. But at the same time, like they're they have a potent offense. That offense does exist. So that's four, that's four games, right? Two good offenses, Jets unsure, jury still out, one bad offense. If Joe, there's not a defensive improvement in those four games, Joe Barry should not have a job. And that's when you pull the plug. And you don't necessarily pull the plug too late. You do not want this to become a special teams thing. And it, it just feels at this point, and it's it's early. So I, I'm not ready to I'm not ready to completely, you know, say this, but it's like it feels like a, you know, 2015, 2016 where Aaron Rodgers scores 30 points, but the opposing team in the playoffs scores 34 and the Packers lose. That's what it feels like right now. But Packers are too talented to be this bad. They, they have talent all over that fucking defense. Andy Kerman pointed that out on Twitter yesterday. Like they have first round picks. They have guys they pay a lot of money to. They, they should not be this bad. So that to me falls on the coaching staff. So how does Joe Barry fix it? Joe Barry is under a very big microscope heading into week six against the Jets. And there needs to be a a stark improvement. There just does. And so hopefully you see it. Hopefully Joe Barry does some different things. And I think even if the Packers struggle a little bit defensively next week, but we see noted changes from Joe Barry, I think we have to give him credit and we have to, you know, adapt with that and ride out those changes. All right, we'll talk much more about the Packers this week uh, as we get into our podcast. Uh, let's move on to the Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin Badgers had a good good day. Um, so it wasn't a complete loser weekend for the state of Wisconsin. Uh, the Badgers win 42-7. to Graham Mertz has his best day as a collegiate athlete, 20-29, uh, 299, and five touchdowns. Mertz, the first Badger to have five passing touchdowns 
in the history of Wisconsin football, which is wild to think about that no Badger had had five touchdowns before. Now, Wisconsin is usually predicated on the run. They went through the air because that is exactly what Northwestern doesn't want them to do. Northwestern has had one of the worst secondaries in all of college football, and the Badgers exploited it. They went away a little bit from the run, and that is exactly what Wisconsin should have done. And it begs the question, it begs a couple questions. One question is, would Paul Christ have done that? Would Paul Christ have been so stuck in his ways that he would not have, you know, basically got the run? Like, would Paul Christ have sort of said, all right, we are not running the football and, and we're going to go through the air to win football games? Would Paul Christ have done that? I have no idea, right? That's to me one of the great questions about this performance from Mertz. What, would this have happened with Paul Christ? Would Paul Christ have done this? I, I don't know. Like, And I think that might be the larger point, right? That the Badgers were so stuck in their ways. They were so comfortable with, with what they did that they wouldn't have looked to this. And also too, the other question I have about it, did Graham Mertz sort of have this thing where he was a little nervous? Like he was a little bit tight to not make a mistake for, with Paul Chris because if he made a mistake, would that lead to basically the Badgers throwing out the passing game? Because we have not seen this from Graham Mertz. I think there was a stat out there when the Badgers lost to Washington State that that they were 0-7 or 0-8 uh, if they had passed the ball more than 25 times in a game. So this is the first time in Mertz's career the Badgers have thrown for thrown the ball more than 25 times and the Badgers have won. And not only did they win, they were able to, you know, dominate this football game. Like they they were the best team on the field by a long shot. Like they looked like a ranked team against Northwestern. And Northwestern looked, you know, like the worst team in the Big Ten, which I think they definitely are. And also too, like it should be pointed out, like it's not like the Badgers went away from the run. Like they still ran the ball 38 times. Like so, and with 193 yards, 5.1 yards per carry, Braylon Allen had 135 on the ground, averaging nearly six yards a carry. So it wasn't like Green Bay or Wisconsin, excuse me, just went away from the run. Like they they still ran the football. They just were able to spread it out a little bit more and a more balanced approach. And I think this is what so many fans have been clamoring for. The only other adjustment we saw was Bobby Ingram on the field versus up in the booth. And I'm a big advocate of offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators on the field. I think it just helps the team. I think it helps the players. And and that seemed to help Graham Mertz. And so we'll see if the Badgers can keep it up and keep it rolling. But this is a good first step. I do think that people are going to say, yeah, but it's Northwestern. And I push back on that a little bit because here's the thing. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, you want to look like you have a pulse. You want to look like this matter, that you look a little bit differently, that you're a little more feistier defensively, that you're a little more, you know, different. You're just different on offense, right? That the offense has been a factor and you're able to hang the most points that you have scored all. Oh, I forgot about the New Mexico State game. Against real teams, you're able to hang, you know, 40 plus on Northwestern. That's that's a good sign. And you allowed a touchdown at the very end, but you were basically pitching a shutout. Like this looked like everything you expected out of Badger football. And that is a good thing, even though it's Northwestern. I understand that. I understand that you could go to Michigan State next week, who isn't playing good football either, and lose that game. And then it's like, well, okay, it was maybe it was just Northwestern. But there is a path 
for Wisconsin to win a bunch of games. And we talked about this last week when Paul Chris got fired. I don't need to go over the schedule, which I think I've done like three times and I apologize for. But the, the fact is, is that this is a good first step. The second step is winning at Michigan State, another place you struggle at. But a, you're playing Michigan State in a good year. Like, they're not playing the team from last year. Kenneth Walker is not walking through that door. So you, you could take that next step against Michigan State, and then you're home, and all of a sudden you have a fan base that it should be rabid because all of a sudden, you know, you are kind of back, right? You're back to what you should be. You're playing Badger football again. And this, to me, should be the next generation of it. And I, I think the Badgers looked a little more relaxed. They looked like they were having fun out there. They were just being themselves. And I don't know, again, what was going on behind the scenes. I know Paul Christ had a lot of defenders, but you can't tell me that the Badgers would have won 42-7 the way that things were trending last week. I, I don't believe that. Do I think the Badgers would have beat Northwestern? Yes, I do. And I think that's part of the reason why Chris was let go because they didn't want to have another situation where they lost another game. And they knew that this team was talented. And for whatever reason, there was a lack of a lack of maybe caring about how they played because they didn't necessarily want to fight for their coach. I think they want to fight for Jim Leonard. I think that's that was very prevalent, very prominent out there with what the Badgers did on Saturday. So I, I'm very happy with it. I think you should be very happy with it. I don't think you should use like, oh, well, maybe it's just Northwestern. We can have that discussion if they lose to Michigan State, right? If they look like the team that we saw in the first five weeks, then yeah, we can certainly have that, that conversation next week and say, oh, well, maybe it was just the fact they played Michigan State and it had nothing, or I'm sorry, Northwestern, and had nothing to do with this sort of revival of Wisconsin. But we have seen a lot of teams when the interim coaches come in, it's worked out so far, right? Like Georgia Tech just won their second straight game against, and they beat Duke at home. And Duke's been impressive to start the year. They got done. Arizona State beat Washington at home. Washington has, you know, obviously fallen off since their, you know, nice start. But still, like, that's a big win for Arizona State. Who else fired their coach? I, we haven't seen Colorado yet. I don't know if we're going to get the same sort of bounce back for Colorado because I think they're really bad. But you, you get my point. Like the interim coaches are not, are, are definitely sending sort of that message that the kids are wanting to show off for those coaches and want to make sure that they have a spot, you know, for the years to come. And, I, and that only helps with badge recruiting too. That if they're playing good football, you know, what it can get done. Uh, there, there are issues. I think there were issues with Paul Crest. I think the recruiting stuff was a problem. I think he had sort of got into that late McCarthy stage, you know, of the Packers where he sort of rested on his laurels. And Paul Crest probably won't admit that, but I, I think that he felt like he would never get fired. He had ultimate job security, Madison guy, and he stopped kind of caring as much as he did, you know, a few years ago. And maybe Paul Chris pulls a Mike McCarthy and, you know, he says in a year or two years and says, I'm ready to be a football coach again. And, you know, some team in the MAC hires him like a Northern Illinois or a Toledo or an Ohio or something like that. I, you know, maybe he doesn't want to leave Wisconsin, which I understand. Um, but, and he comes back and all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, you know, they're playing good football. And that we saw that with Mike, we, you, know, you can't hate Dallas right now. Mike McCarthy seems like he really has it going. And for all the shit that McCarthy took last year and everybody liked to dunk on him, no one's dunking on Mike McCarthy anymore. So maybe that's Paul Christ's arc too. Maybe that happens or maybe he just sits on $11 million because $11 million 
can go a long way in Madison. Like that, that can, you know, I obviously you're not getting all of it. It's not a lump sum, you know, but still 11 million is 11 million. That goes, that goes a long, long way, my friends. So yes, good shit from the Badgers. Hopefully they can continue it against Michigan State. Moving on to the Major League Baseball and the playoffs in general. Um, playoffs are done, at least for the first round. The wild card round is over. Uh, we had three teams that did not have home field advantage win the games, which is wild. Uh, you had the Seattle Mariners advance in the AL. You had the Guardians, my Guardians, advance in the AL as well. Uh, the Mariners will play the rival Astros, and the Guardians will play the Yankees. There is a lot of history between New York and Cleveland in the postseason um, in the last 10 years. Obviously, Terry Francona, too, with the Yankees. There's just there's a lot there. Seattle-Houston, um, new, new rivalry, uh, but definitely it's kind of fun that there's three divisional rivalries in the NLDS, or in the DS in general, the division series, not just the NL. But the NLDS has two, two division rivalries with the Braves and Phillies and the Padres and Dodgers. Do I think baseball should have receded? Absolutely. Like, I, I think that is a miss from baseball, and I wonder if that will change if the Dodgers bow out early. But it really should have been the Padres and Braves and then the Dodgers and Phillies. Like, the Dodgers should have got the luxury of playing a Phillies team that has 86 wins. Like, I realize Dodgers-Phillies isn't as exciting as Phillies-Padres or as Dodgers-Padres as is Phillies-Braves, but you get my point. Does it make me feel differently about the Milwaukee Brewers finish and anything of that nature? I don't I don't think so. Um, I think it was interesting. I was listening to Jeff Passan with Ryan Rosillo. Uh, uh, it was actually their Friday show, but I listened to it yesterday. And Passan was saying how the Cardinals overachieved. And you could kind of feel that, that the Cardinals just had one really good fucking month. And then it all kind of, you know, culminated with this finish and Albert Pujols gets hot and this whole this whole thing was this drive to October and then it all fell apart for the Cardinals on Friday afternoon and let's let's be clear like the Phillies basically had one good inning in the in game one and then they were able to parlay that to an awesome Aaron Nola performance and putting you know getting just enough in game two to win that series I don't know if the Phillies were the best team in that series they had they had again one good inning and then the second one, they were able to have a great NOLA performance. Could that have happened with the Brewers? Maybe. Could the Brewers have came back in the ninth inning and then had an awesome performance from Brandon Woodruff, let's just say? Maybe. But I, again, who's to say, right? Like, I, I think that's one of those things where we just, we can assume that, but we can't necessarily guarantee it. So that's where I'm, I'm hesitant to feel like the Brewers missed out on this opportunity. Josh Ader was able to get three outs in a 6 nothing game, but that's as low pressure as it gets. You know, Bob Melvin getting Hader out there. I kind of want to see Hader in the moment against the Dodgers. And we'll see how the, the Padres do against the Dodgers because in a lot of ways, the Dodgers have been the daddies of, of you know, baseball for the Padres. They've, they won 14 of 19 games, you know, all season. Uh, the Dodgers have played really well and had sort of the Padres number. So will they have their number again? I don't know. Um, do you pitch Clevenger? Do you, are you able to go with Darvish? You probably have to go game two on Darvish. So And will you Darvish sort of come to life again? I mean, he he had such a good September. He had a really good outing on Friday. It will let you Darvish show up yet again against an opponent like the Dodgers? I don't know. And 
if it's still Dodgers Mets, I don't think the Brewers missed out on any sort of air opportunity because I think that's or I'm sorry, Dodgers Braves. Apologize. If it's Dodgers Braves, like I, I think you look at it and you're like, okay, how is this any different? If the Brewers were here, they would have exited out where I think everybody expected them to. So I guess that's where the regret won't come in until if the Phillies were able to do something crazy and beat the Braves, then yeah, I think we look back and we're like, shit, and we just got in. You know, who knows? And I, I think it speaks to baseball, right? Like, that's the part of baseball that makes it so frustrating, I think, for some fans is it's never it's not always the best team that wins the World Series or gets to the World Series. Sometimes it's just a team who gets hot. You know, the Mariners, what they were down nine to one, eight, eight to one. They get hot, they they win, they come back and win that game ten to nine. That's the type of shit that is the start of a championship DVD. And all of a sudden the Mariners beat this Astros team that looks unbeatable and has more familiarity with them than let's say the Guardians, you know, they're and they somehow find themselves in the ALCS playing the Yankees or Cleveland and they find their way into the World Series. And then you're like, well, the Yankees and Astros were the best teams in the AL all year. And somehow Seattle is the team that's the AL representative for the World Series. Like that shit happens. Like I, I Atlanta is, a, is an interesting example of that last year. Like Atlanta didn't have Ronald Acuna, right? They didn't have home field advantage. They were a wild card team playing the Milwaukee Brewers. They and the Brewers team was good. I mean, 96 wins. They looked like one of the better teams in baseball. The Braves beat them in four games, and then they are able to just continue that on throughout the postseason. They beat the Dodgers, and then they beat the Astros. Like you could make a case the Braves just got hot at the right time. The Nationals another example of that, right? So I look at this and I'm not ready to admit regret for the Brewers season. I I don't think the Brewers were that good. It's just it gets to that regrettable point if the Phillies were able to win, or if I and I won't even put the Padres in there because I think the Padres were better than the Phillies or Brewers. I I just do like I, I don't. I think that the pot, the fact that Dodgers have to play the Padres makes it a lot harder on LA. And that's kind of unfair to them. And even though I don't want to give LA any advantages, they were the best team in baseball. They should have that advantage. So we'll see what happens um, this week with the NL and ALDS. It'll be a lot of fun. Get baseball full day on Tuesday. That'll be fun. Good, good way to spend your day at the office. So hopefully I'll have a quiet day because yeah, you have baseball starting at noon on, th- on Tuesday, which is fantastic which is exactly exactly what you want i think this will probably be one of the last ones i know saturday is like that too be a loaded saturday yet again uh but yeah i love playoff baseball i I don't know how you can't love playoff baseball it was a fun weekend in general uh i would like a little more scoring but that's i think that's just the way way it goes right now all right that does it for today's show uh we'll be back tomorrow uh we will talk about all things sure packer reactions comments uh, maybe a little Bucks too. Uh, they got back from Abu Dhabi. Still haven't won a preseason game. I don't think that's a big deal. Um, maybe go through some of that. Um, and who knows what else? All right, take care. Oh, yeah, Mitch on Thursday like usual. And next week, uh, we'll have the NBA preview pod for the Milwaukee Bucks. That will be done uh, over the weekend and in person. And we'll probably bring that out Tuesday. So that's one of those things where we'll bring it out a little earlier. Um, and because of, you know, obviously the Bucks play on Thursday. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll have Bucks recaps. We'll be talking about the season, uh, which is really exciting. And can't wait for that. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a great 
Monday, make sure that you're rating and reviewing. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, you can do that on Apple. You can do that on Spotify. Helps us get understand. People know who we are. And then if you're not subscribed, you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.